welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters. I've been doing this for <laughs> a too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. Well, I sought gold and diamond rings, my own drug to ease the pain that living brings. Walk from the mountain to the valley floor, searching for my beautiful reward, searching for my beautiful reward. Woo! As Dave, the rock and roll DM, and uh, I don't, I don't recognize that one. I was uh, expecting like yeah. self and found what I'm looking for, or maybe like something from like The Hobbit. What was there you it? There you go. So still haven't found what I looked for. Was absolutely in the running. Um, unfortunately, I already used the song from The Hobbit in another episode. That's true. Way back, right? And I can't fucking hit those notes. I tried one time, didn't work. I'm not gonna try again. Uh, so this one, this is a deeper cut of the boss. From his uh, double records that he released that no one liked, but they got some good tunes on him. <laughs> I actually own that. I don't. I've listened to it. What? Uh, Human, Human Touch in Lucky Town. Yeah. Oh no. Okay. No, I don't know that one. I own the later one that came out after uh, Devils and Dust. It might have been called Devils and Dust. Oh, Devils and Dust is a great record. Yeah. 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 The acoustic stuff. No, this was like in the '90s. He was doing like the LA band. It yeah. was all weird. And like there's good stuff, but it gets lost. Like, uh, I like I like Human good Touch one. actually. Yeah. I think My, Human Touch is a great tip. It really is. Like I I got in I'm getting into that stuff like now, you know, because now I'm like, oh I, I understand you, Bruce. Yeah, that was exactly <laughs> me. Cause I remember when it came out, like I was like in school and I'm like, yeah, this kind of sucks. I wish I'd stop playing it. And then you're like, and you're like, you know, you're you're late. I think I found it when I was like in my late thirties or like my, my in my thirties. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh. That's the All proper right. evolution of the boss right there. It's, it's it's like if you ever read Herman Hesse's Steppenwolf, which I haven't, but I've read the intro. And in and in the intro, Herman Hess tells you, if you are not an old man, put this book down. You're not going to understand it. Oh, all right. So I'm getting to about to the age where I can go pick it up again. But that's like literally what Hess says in the intro to Steppenwolf. If you are not an old man, you will probably not understand this. Put it down. <laughs> a, hey, man. He's, Walk away. Uh, Come back in yeah. 50 years. <laughs> that's baller right there. Yeah. And the only thing I've ever read of Hess is uh, Sid Hartha. So me too. And Actually, that was a long, long time ago. So Sid I Sid Hartha was in, formative for me. I was very. Good I could not even tell you what it was about fully. It was it's so, not the life of Buddha, man. It, well, it, yeah, I know, I know, but I'm just it's saying. Beam, you know. isn't it? <laughs> well, it's Beam. If we go back and do his hookers and drugs face. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I really missed that in Woodstock Wanderers. What what game am I watching? <laughs> That's true, yeah. It's well, maybe, maybe that's next. You know, you it's guys are in a city now. I feel like that campaign's barely PG. All right, continue, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all we have is the human sacrifice. That's the only way we're really going. Right, yep. and that happens off camera. Yeah. Uh, not always. Not always. <laughs> it's true, though. That thing, that game is probably the cleanest one that we have, right? Uh, Sexually, maybe. Sexually! <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got I mean, it really there. depends on what you feel about human sacrifice, you know. <laughs> oh, Christ. And Elvin sacrifice. So, sentient so sacrifice. As, a, as a complete aside here, this is just real quick, and then we can get into the segue. But having to do with the overly sexualized campaign, right? So just had an, uh, our fifth session of the Frostmaiden campaign, the all-girl campaign. 
Yeah. Bonnie brought in a new uh, friend who wanted to play, has been really jazzed. So she's playing like natural born role player jumps in right they're on the hunt for this serial killer guy yada yada it doesn't even matter but they're talking with this guy is traveling with this traveling caravan mercantile shop whatever and the way in which they decide is not okay we're going to just take this uh, these guys down as i expect most players would do no they decide to start just flirting with all of the guards around the thing and like between them doing it, so I'm like, all right, I got to let this roll a little bit. And then their baller persuasion checks and stuff. I was like, this is how it's going. And then they end up at the inn and they're having drinks and they're trying to get, you know, pump information from these guys. It was it was absolutely phenomenal. But, yeah, kind of weird when you're having to flirt with a bunch of random people around the table. Especially when you're when you when, when your fiance is in the game. Right. Oh, she was loving it, though. She's absolutely she's, a, she's like, well, was, yes, this is great. I was thinking about it. Probably part of the reason why Woodstock stays so PG is we do have a father and daughter in the game. That helps probably. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, because you can't really do that. I mean, you you can't. I can already hear Vic saying, "Dad," you know. Yeah, like I I curse in that game. I'll curse. Like I I love I love four letter words, but like I always feel a little bad, you know, because Scott's online. I'm like, oh, he probably doesn't like that. (laughs) Oh well, maybe. maybe. I I just feel because he's like a classy guy, right? He's like a man. You know, he's I'm like a man. Yeah, like, you know, like he's cod piece in this story. Well, I'm saying he has a very he's has real dad energy. So you know, what are you gonna do? Anyway, I mean, well, okay, we are getting yeah. far hard rabbit hole here. Let's six minutes in. Let's start talking about the topic and loop it back to what uh to what Dave was talking about. Looking for for his prize, looking for his silver and gold, walking from the mountain to the valley. Because today, what we're gonna talk about is fetch quest. In sending your party out on an extended quest. Now, I'm not talking like a one-time adventure. We're talking like an extended quest, multiple adventure, multiple sessions to go piece together some item, go change something, uh, go, um, you know, just get things they need to create an item or a, a piece of treasure that they need to advance the plot line. And is that a good idea? Is that a satisfying thing to do? Are there problems with it? That's what we're going to get into today because I think it's, you know, it's a very common type of quest. It's something I think a lot of you see in a lot of stories, you know, hey, you got to go get the MacGuffin. That's why the word MacGuffin exists, right? But is it a fun D&D adventure? And this comes from actually Dave's game, where in the, in the, in the, in the second half of, of uh, our Curse of Strahd group, we are now on a fetch quest. So uh, we're Dave, in you know, season two now. We're in season, season two. two. We're yeah. like season four and a half, gentlemen. <laughs> Wait, it's only been like two months of game time. How can it be season four and yeah, a half? No, it's season two. It's the season one was like Strahd, you know. It was like you know. I uh, dude, I we could totally put. I'm sorry, I could easily put that first twenty three, twenty four games within a ten episode run, easily. Yeah, I think so. Easily. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Easy. you'd really have to condense down the bargaining in the Amber Temple, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, go back to my article uh, talking about the Legend <laughs> of Vox Machina. Like, you could take a session and break it down to 24 minutes, and it's gold then, you know? When you when you take out all the, some of the extraneous I, bullshit. I mean, if we're animating it, but I kind of think, like, every six months is, like, a season. Like, a lot of ground's covered. We're, we're what, uh, session 29? We're, yeah, we're but we only covered, in. like, two months of game time. <laughs> 
I know there's a hard one. Anyway, that's a long rest. We're gonna we'll go over that in another episode where we'll talk about how do we translate our campaigns into television programs. In one week, my fighter went from level one to level twenty. Ask me how. (laughs) Come back, son. Wow, you really look different. That boot camp did you good. So yeah, summer. So Dave, tell us about the setup here. What do you uh, what do you have us doing? Yes. So. This is the second half of Curse of Strahd, so we can we decided to continue on. So we are completely off book at this point. They are now out of Barovia. Uh, I can pretty much let everyone know now because my players are pretty much aware of what is happening. So in my Curse of Strahd, I decided to take the Standing Stones, the Megaliths, and turn them into an idea for a gateway. Uh, and I had planted this early on in the campaign in a way to have excuse me, this type of play, this higher level play, if we got to that point. Uh, It was a great group, so I thought they might want to continue on, which they did so far. So anyway, I tied it to Phineas's character a little bit. He started to investigate these megaliths. I was talking about the four cities, yada, yada. They have now activated them. I had them find a staff and a, in essence, a type of amulet of the planes that allows them to turn these gates on it turns into a room that has four doors that go into cities on the elemental planes it goes up into the feywild it goes down into the shadow fell i think it's pretty awesome anyway tony has come to a point where he has finished his trajectory as the hulk hogan character right so Uh, And it was a great trajectory, right? And he's really into it. And he came to me with an idea of, so he already had one 80s icon, so he's thinking of going with another 80s icon. And I think it's because he was watching the uh, Masters of the Universe thing. So he's on a a quest to take two swords that that they found over time, Strahd, Sword, Lament, and a sword I put in Argonvolt's whole silver song. And he wants to, he came with the idea that they were twin swords, light and dark, and he wanted to forge them together. And I was like, this is awesome. Into like the sword of power, whatever. This is story stuff, though, not just for Tony's character, but I'm now peppering in other things. So for me, that's a big thing. You're creating something in in the world that has never existed before. You're also doing things that the current mages of the day don't know how to do. All the, the the magical artifacts, legendary artifacts, are old. The, the the understanding of how to build them has been lost. So in my world, in this world that I play in, so they have to go and find a way to do this. So I have them going, having to melt it down in the fountains of creation because they have to make it into mage iron. It's kind of like my idea of residuum in a way, and then they can now reforge it into a into a sword. Uh, and if they want to enchant even further things, they might have to talk to this uh, archmage that maybe his name is Elios. What's up, Sky Mall? <laughs> it's in the game, people. It's in the game. In case anyone doesn't remember, that's from our Storm King's Thunder campaign. So I feel like I was really babbling on there for a while. So does that give enough of a background as to what I'm talking about here? I think so. Tony, you were going to say something? No, I mean, um, I think the story itself is really awesome. Uh, I like fetch quests inherently. In fact, in Storm King's Thunder, well, the purpose behind really a fetch quest is to create a moment where the player doesn't have to be for an item or a weapon. 
It's where they can fill some part of their backstory, complete it, to do their character arc, to have their awesome moment, to have that episode of the show be about them. And in Storm King's Thunder, I kind of had that built into the DNA because I created these special elemental-based weapons and items, one per character, that were custom for that person to find. It was fate. It was destiny. It made me have an excuse to drag them around on the train to each uh, giant stronghold, do the tour of that game world before going to the end. Yeah. And in your game, we had, there was this, wasn't that like a guy we kept fighting every time to get one of these? Well, each, they were in each giant stronghold. So in some cases, the giant leader had them or the giant leader had a guardian that had them, or perhaps they were in the stronghold and didn't know that they even existed, but was guarded by something yet even worse somehow. Yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember my, like my uh, mine was the first one we found the scholars loot of secrets and it was in the hill giant setting uh, and it was on chief God's necklace. It was like this coffin. Uh, yeah. And when we opened that up, there was the, the, the loot. But yeah, I do remember that there was that guy that kept showing up sometimes. And like, I don't want to ruin in case we ever do get back into that storyline. But who the fuck was that guy? Like, I still don't fully get it. Like, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think it was Sarkaloth, but maybe it was Sarkaloth, but I feel like it wasn't. I feel like it was uh, another another bad guy. Uh, was that uh, one of his lieutenants that I had harassing you? Because I did have an NPC that was doing that. Yeah, I don't. Maybe it was. I I don't remember, but I remember every time he found one of these, we wound up fighting this asshole. He would like he showed up like, a couple times, and he was always real cryptic. Whatever he would yeah. say was super cryptic, and I was like, what the fuck is with this guy? <laughs> and then I pulled you to that arena in Dark Sun that other time, and that was fun. But <laughs> So I guess for the fetch quest, though, uh, I would kind of want to define it. So if you're going to have an episode be about a character, like, say, and I want to encourage this behavior with players. If I don't, I, I, what is my ideal player? A player is somebody who's into the world. They're thinking about their character. They're thinking about how your world works and how they can do something cool. I think that's fantastic. I inherently value that player more than someone who hasn't thought about their character in since the last game. Just honestly, like that shows like the wheels are turning here. Like this person's going to help me drive my story or in a new direction I haven't even considered. But with that said, is this tangent they want to go off on um, specific to their character or are they doing something that's really part of the core story and that would help me determine its structure this whole fetch quest that i would put together Mm. so so i think that actually sounds kind of different than what dave's doing though a little bit because you're talking about like basically one session spotlight sessions to get their thing and that's kind of what you did in storm king's thunder right we went to the giant stronghold and when we defeated the giant stronghold we got one of these items great i think dave is looking more at this is a multi-session adventure like 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 a basically a module to go do something epic in his campaign that is focused on one player in a way involved yeah in a way though and that's what i'm trying to do and i think that's one of the reasons i want to talk about it because tony's right like i don't want to one he came he came to me and said hey i have this super idea what do you think? And I'm like, this is this is great stuff. You're giving me story to go with, okay? Especially for your character. Now he had already had a lot of spotlight in the in some of Curse of Straw. It just happened because he came with a lot of character. 
At this point now, we've now opened up the worlds. We're going into the Feywild. So now Phineas's story is starting to to percolate. Things are happening. Yeah, he's things are happening. You guys were find out what's going on there before I actually go visit my patient. Yeah, exactly. You know, (laughs) and I I had things set up. If you whenever you happen to find yourself in Glen Boggle, things are going to happen. You know, Um, but there are definitely things that are happening whole story wise. But the story is somewhat open. I'm trying to keep this part of the story. I know who the big bad is. I know the general what's happening, but. I want to see where your guys' pool balls hit, right? The billiard balls. I want to see them hit into the plot and where it goes. So for this, it gives you guys, one, reasons to go to a lot of these elemental planes, right? So these four cities that I've built. So they're not in the planes. Like, if they walk into the plane of fire, it's not like, oh, you're choking and dying and make me conseys or you're all dead forever. You know, there are these they're like these these bastions of some type of civilization or trade that at some point they were able to travel through Barovia to these other places. You know, it was like this hub almost, which opens up Barovia as to like, why the hell are these standing stones and druids here? You know, so uh, so it opens up that so it, it forces you to guys to go into some of these elemental planes to then trigger the more story to happen right where it would be a little harder to do like do we necessarily need to go to the cities guys i mean we're pretty good in the Feywild. maybe we'll just hang out in barovia we'll re you know we'll redecorate castle ravenloft you know i'm thinking of becoming mayor of Velaki, you know like and that's all cool too but like if we want to go to like epic level super paragon level 20 type of adventure then the story needs to move forward. And for me, this quest is a way in which to do that because the party is all involved in it in a way. Even if it is focused, I know, even if it is focused a little on Hawk wants to create this sword for himself. I do get that. How is the rest of the party involved in this? Because we had one session where I was like, okay, great. Yeah, well, Hawk wants to get a thing done. We're all going to go help Hawk get a thing done. But I do have to say, it is kind of like, you know, it's like, OK, we're all helping Hulk get a thing done for the next like 20 sessions or like, how's that going to work? Like, how are you going to because like it's it, you are running into that a little bit of, OK, sessions. one player brought you a cool idea. But now is it just going to be that players, you know, that we're, we're just following. We're just kind of following through to get that player's sword, which isn't super. Yeah, just to be honest, like that's not a super compelling reason for the rest of the group to be on a quest. Right, right. No, I I totally get that. I totally get that. And that's why I'm trying to have it be what will create more of what is happening in the story, you know, Um, and those there are a lot of things that tie together with that as you will begin to investigate outwards into some of the the other areas of the planes and such. But yeah, I can totally see how it focuses in on. On a character, absolutely. Well, I mean, but like, so we'll open up other story, but will we open up more motivation? You know what I mean? Because having opening up story and opening up character motivation is different. They're two different things. We'll have to find out, won't we? (laughs) (laughs) We're off book here, people. I'm going as we go here. I'm just holding on. That's very interesting because in one respect, you have the opportunity to showcase all of your other potential plot threads. In that respect, that's fantastic. But as a player and as a character, I kind of feel like there is a bit of conflict that takes place between me and my character. I'll explain how. Um, Hawk would be super grateful 
that his team was willing to go along with this. Like, guys, you're great. We went to the Feywild. We found a Smith. He's willing to do this. He's so cool. This is great. We have a means to an end. We're just going to take a trip and go down there and do this and melt the swords and bring it back, get enchanted. I love this idea. Hawk is ecstatic. Tony has blinders on now. And this created what I want to call the Glenn Bogle incident, where he wanted to do something, and I put a gun to his head. I'm like, no, we're not. Because I'm on the journey of 10,000 steps now. And like when we were in the city, everybody wanted to do their stuff. And that's totally cool. And they should. Like, the gnome should go to do some shopping. Rose should look for her backstory. I want Rose to go do her backstory stuff. I think that's very important. Uh, certainly- well, let's, let's revisit that when we're done this this thought here continue well, yeah I, I think those things are super important but if we're if i'm faced with an extremely long quest then that is where my head is yeah and that was this actually there was a little bit of a red flag moment in the game where we were deciding what do you guys want to do next? Like, like I'm asking that and Tony's asking that we know we have this quest and we are like, okay, we can go to do this big long quest. We can go check out Glen Bogle. We can go to the goblin market and, and I'm asking other people, what do they want to do? Cause I don't necessarily want to railroad anybody. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want to be kind of that character is always like, hey, we're going here, but there was very little commitment out of the rest of the group. As far as what else they wanted to do, everyone just was going to go along and you kind of, that's, that's great. But it's also kind of a sign that, you know, there's not a lot of character motivation for the other characters, you know, which is the tricky thing if you're going to do a long quest around one person getting a new sword. Mm. Hawk would have absolutely gone with you to Glen Bogle. Tony wouldn't have. And that's the, 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 the explosion of the nucleus there. <laughs> well, but if we're going on a long quest, we probably should have done that. But I was fine with not doing it because also, I mean, from a character point of view, like I said, Phineas is a little suspicious right now and he's been trying to get more backstory and he's not getting it. So he would have gone and I kind of thought we were going to be forced to go, which I would have been fine with. But like, if I have the option to just kind of turn around and go into another quest for the moment, I was cool doing that because Phineas is trying to figure out what is his patron's play. Cause clearly no one else sees anything coming, but Phineas hears something coming. <laughs> you know, it could be in the way the patrons talking it's like the Mandarin. Yeah, well, in just in just the in we we the listeners deserve more context here. So yeah, so so Phineas has the thing that opens up the ways, as Dave calls them, that travels between the planes using Ravensloft as a nexus. His patron had sent him the Ravenloft. Beautiful apparently. idea, by the way. I mean, can we just it's stop? Cool. Yeah. Second, <laughs> <laughs> you have Good idea. <laughs> really? I mean, it's top notch, Dave. Really. <laughs> well, we, 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 it makes sense you know we, we we opened up ravenloft we opened up the prison and now you can go out and travel and uh the fact that it's a nexus point does make does add a level of interest to it right uh that is that is a good detail to add there because it makes it a little more important than just hey okay you guys opened up more map well you didn't just open up more map you opened up something that's been closed for a long time so yeah. you, that's now a different thing because is someone going to march an army in there and take it from us maybe right. i yeah. thought about that actually Sheesh. like my patron could my patron march an army in there and take it from us? <laughs> this crossed my mind. Um, but the patron, so so basically, Phineas's patron sent, is who sent him the Ravensloft to Ravenloft. And since they've started opening these the ways, since they started opening the the stone circles, 
when I've heard from my patron, he's gotten a little more anxious for more information than wanting to see me again. And, oh, are those open now? And it definitely sounds like he's got a plot. He's, he was looking to move like an army of devils through Ravenloft or something. I don't know exactly what his plan is, but clearly there's a plan. <laughs> All right. One thing I will guarantee you that he's not marching an army of devils. He is. But leprechauns, yes. He is an archfey. That much I will absolutely give you. He's, but not... he's an archfey who's he's exiled by the rest of the, who's not respected by the rest of the archfey. So where else does he get his where else does he get his power to back a coup or whatever he might ah, I mean who knows, right? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So that's why that's that's like that's what's on Phineas's mind, just to, yeah. to bring up the backstory. Yeah. So I mean, so we decided to go on the on, on the quest to go for the sword, but it's it does become a question of how long can you spend looking for one character's MacGuffin before the other players kind of lose interest. And I don't know, Dave, it seems like you kind of have a, a long trip planned for us to do this. Um, no, actually, to tell you the truth, I can understand what your thoughts are with that. Um, but that's one of the things that I've actually been doing a lot of uh, working on. Um, I've said over the last, what, year and a half, two years uh, yeah. talking with you guys, I've adjusted a lot of how I'm approaching a lot of my game prep, a lot of my session play. Uh, and one of the things I took from Tony specifically was that idea of moving the football so I do have a very distinct sense of not trying to get mired into too many, ooh, this is really cool and we can do like this big thing through uh, through the elemental plane of Earth and blah, blah, blah. But that's not necessarily going to turn into a fun time for really anybody at the table as we were starting to talk about with – uh, the Woodstock Wanderers thing, where we were the Black Dragon and the Lair, and none of that was extensive stuff. But what did it? It turns into all of a sudden six months it later. Slug out really exactly. Easy. So I am trying to be very, very appreciative of that. Um, that I'm, I'm very uh, without just giving it either. Like that was the big thing. I didn't want it to just be like, oh, I really like this idea. Okay, here's my DM gift. Boop. Like, that should be something that is brought into the world, right, in a way. So in the same way that you guys went, not you had no idea you were, but little by little unlocking the mystery of what the gates were, the ways, you know, until finally it was. You guys were focused on completely different MacGuffins at that time in the icons of Ravenloft and, like you know. The, the Sun Sword and the Tome of Strahd and all those things. Those were all your fetch quests in the early part. Well, for the most part, we were we were focused on the question marks on our map. <laughs> Just, oh, there's a question mark over here. Go, go, go check it. Absolutely. But I had thrown out enough things that you guys were looking for stuff. And then once you saw that you were finding other things, you went, oh, well, why don't we just go here, too? Because that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> you know? I mean, and you opened up damn near the whole map. So let me ask this question about this particular fetch quest. Mm-hmm. What level should Tone, should uh, should Hawk be at when he gets this badass new sword? 42. I'm thinking like, no, I mean, no more than like 19, 20, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm thinking, um, because what I'm trying to do at this point is generally I'm leveling probably every other game, give or take. Um, so I'm thinking by level 14, 15, uh, he should have his super duper sword that is, but during that time, other things will undoubtedly be happening as well, you know? At that point, who knows? When you guys come back, maybe you do head back to Glen Boggle. Maybe you do find out what's going on with the Summer Queen and the courts and what's happening with the gentlemen. You know, maybe you do find out more about 
this weird, mysterious gnome that you've been traveling with, and, like, everyone's just cool that, like, no one knows anything about her at all, right? <laughs> Seems like what a very in-the-moment character. One thing is, one thing I am stuck on, and this is, maybe you guys can help, so, like, compartmentalize yourselves here, fetch quest-wise, right? Compartmentalize here. Um, so, in Barovia, I had specifically tied... Rose's character to the Dusk Elves that were in the camp with the Vistani that one time. Sure. Right? And I was like, oh, okay, I this is this is good. You found your people, and they were translated here somehow, and then you found out that, like, uh, Casimir, who was the head of them, was actually one of the uh, – the gentleman had been his patron as well as Rahadin. You know, and you were like, oh, my God, like, he's just been bringing people here the whole time. Strong, and then, unfounded like, implication that the gentleman is somehow at fault for their downfall, which Phineas knows nothing about. Yeah. And um, and then, like, it comes up in the Feywild that, and Shannon says that Rose is looking for her uh, tribe, and I'm like, shit, uh, you you like you you what, like you just go back and turn left at the corner, like they you were they were right there, and it was one of them things where like if the player doesn't pick up on the quest. Well, now what, right? I thought Rose was looking for more about the background of her tribe. So, like, where they came from, kind of? Yeah, thing? and maybe what happened. I thought that's what she was asking. Ah, uh, I like that. Okay, that I can work with better. Okay. Yeah, that might not have been how she expressed it, but that okay. was my impression. Good. Because she definitely remembers that, they're her, that they are her tribe. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I just think in the moment maybe she didn't she didn't say she didn't she didn't say it that way. Oh, I um, love it. Okay, that gives me I, that's all I need. Yeah, now I, now looking, I got that, story. All I right. do think she's looking to advance that, but it's just a matter of from what we saw there, very much like kind of Phineas's backstory while we were in Ravenloft, there was no way to advance it. And right, I think it was the same right. with the Dusk Elves. There was no way to go forward with them. So now she's looking for, okay, well, how do What's the deal? What do I, you know? What, yeah. What's, yeah. Now what's, that, now that I, I have access to the world, right. And yeah. not just this domain of dread. Yeah. And this oh. elven library, which we were hoping would be a lot more helpful, but it doesn't seem to think enough of my master to have, to have my patron to have any information on him. Uh, <laughs> Board of rebels. Hey, that's it. That's it. And he seems like a very egalitarian. He seems like the anti-racist elven archfey. He's, seems like a good dude. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm getting mixed messages here. Yeah, that's my plan is working perfectly. He's just looking to march the beastmen into the uh, ancient elven city. Yeah, that's good. So with that, I guess there is a kind of a question of so someone wants to bring a new concept into the game. Um, when you do you allow that to be introduced as something to look at? So while I absolutely do agree, if someone has an idea. You don't want to, in this in the same token, be like, hey, bro, you found that in your sock drawer. It's like, great, I found that idea. I found that letter to the queen that links my whole lineage together, whatever form it takes. But one mistake I made in Storm King's Thunder, and I made a few. I mean, let's just be honest, for those of you who actually played with me, remember. I, don't know, my... I thought it was a fine campaign. Nothing, there's nothing really that strikes me as like it didn't ruin the fun or anything. It was good. Well, one mistake, thank you. But one mistake I made was um, my with the NPC I was running, I thought it would be the appropriate thing to do to allow myself to get his special item last. I'm like, I'm the I'm the I'm the DM NPC. I should get my item last. And what that did was is I had that item for two sessions. So I had spent I went to the fetch quest. I went around with everybody else 
We went to the Hill Giant, the Stone Giant, the Fire Giants, the Cloud Giants, and we get to the Storm Giants, and I have my item. And then we finish there. We go to the end. We wrap. I won't wrap up the conclusion there. And around the campaign, I'm like, wow, I had this for like 25 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I spent longer writing it than I actually got a chance <laughs> to use it. And there's kind of maybe, a hidden truth there. Maybe that can reappear later in Woodstock Wanderers. I'm not closing the door on that. Okay. Uh, well, I appreciate that too. Appropriate. Right. A level appropriate times. <laughs> well, and actually, I'm glad you said that because. In my opinion, so here's what I do when this happened. And this has happened in a couple of my games where players like, I really want this, I really want that. The first thing I look at is what level is that appropriate for? And and then, so is, is that something that they can get now? Is that something they can get in three levels? Is that something they shouldn't get until the end game? And then I also ask myself, okay, can I move it up just for coolness sake? Is this something where it's going to be okay? It's going to be a little unbalanced, but it's not that big a deal. Like if it's a vehicle, the whole party benefits from it. Like I know I threw an airship into, uh, into the old, uh, in, in, into the old campaign with, um, Vecna and, uh, what's his name? What's your character's name in that one again? I won't think it was Erasmus, <laughs> but so like, so for instance, uh, one of our players in that showed me a battle, a, uh, an airship basically of, of kind of a flying battleship out of dragon magazine like a flying pirate ship more um he's like i'd like to do this like I'd, this would be cool i'd like to have this in here you put in some stuff for other players and i mean yeah sure so i looked at that and the first thing i'm asking is is this appropriate now or in three levels or in 10 levels when can i work it in i believe in that case i decided it was appropriate not too much further into the future so once i do that i know where i want to put it um, and if it's going to be later, I might let the players know that. Like if it's, if I'm like, okay, this is cool, but look, dude, this is like an epic tier item and you're level five. <laughs> so like, I, 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 I hear you. I want to work this in. Give me 10 levels, which players don't always want to hear, unfortunately, but that is, that's part of it. Right. Cause that's, that's the first thing I ask. Where does this fit? Then how do I introduce it? In the case of that airship, I had the players go through a, one of their quests where they came across the airship, I believe buried in an ancient temple. Um, so that was, it was something they found, but it was something they found in a cool way. I tend to, in that case, I don't put a fetch quest in because it's kind of meta, right? But I'll kind of work it into the treasure hoard somewhere else, maybe, or into the quest somewhere else where they get this cool thing that someone had asked for. If it's something like a unique magic item like this, I probably would do something like we're doing, you know, okay, you, you got it, but you got to go find these things. I might not send them on a direct quest, though. It might be more like you need to assemble these three to five things over the course of your adventures, depending on how long, how many levels do I want them to take. And then you could have them pull that stuff together as they go. But I would try to, I like to try to align it with what's going on in the main story. So I'm not sending them off on a side quest necessarily. I'm pulling it in. Now, again, pros and cons, that makes it much less personal. Because I'm not necessarily saying, okay, you know, Dave, your side quest happens today. Like, I'm not doing it that way. Yeah. So, but we've talked about, you know, I tend to not do that sort of thing. I tend to like to keep things a little more whole group immersive and work in the things they want or put the things they want somewhere close to where they're going anyway. So right. it's not then a they long come side upon quest. It when it's, yeah, within yeah. the story itself. Right. Or they might, or even if it's not directly in the story, it's like, oh, when you're here at this thing, you hear this rumor, there's so-and-so who has this thing, you know, or maybe that person should, I've, I've set the seed that you need to be asking for these things and looking for these things in your travels. Oh yeah. So-and-so we have one of those in the junk shop over there and then you just got to find a way to afford it or something, you know? So you make, you can make it a thing to get, 
Um, yeah, I mean, you even did yeah. that in uh, it was a ha- it was like half a game of one of the Woodstock games, and I was hoping to uh, cast my divination yeah. sticks, my augury sticks, and I needed some type of stick. So you had a thing where we had to go out, and Thea and I had to find the elven tree that I could use to make the 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 sticks out of and stuff. And we made a little bit. It was just a small little whoop, encounter, and then we yeah. were back to our little cave that we were hanging out in. I remember it was a small little deadly encounter. <laughs> yeah, wherever the hell we were at that point. But yeah. You and the you, you and the you and the rogue alone almost getting killed by and yeah, I think the rest so, of the party also remember, almost got killed. I'd have to go back to see what exactly was about to murder us, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that tends to be how I work them in. You know, figure out where they fit, figure out where I want to put them like where I want to plant them story wise or how and work it in fairly close so they can get to it without having to go on like a a long quest to go get it. Now, if I were to do what you're doing, Dave, with the kind of melt items down and go rework them, I would have, I would give everyone a chance to make an item. Not saying that's what you should do here. You've set it up differently. But for me, like if I'm saying, saying. we're going to, we're going to spend 10 sessions looking for this thing. Everyone's going to get it. Despite well, I just feel like maybe sessions. you guys are just going to make a lot of trips to the fountains of creation now, just start melting shit down <laughs> and just creating a whole economy of arcane uh, artifacts. Tony, what did you say? So, so uh, uh, yeah, I said bite your tongue about 10 games, but <laughs> I mean, we'll be on session 38 at that point, 39. Um, one thing I would have done differently in another one of my campaigns, and I've mentioned this in our previous podcast, was with Thorne. He asked for a custom item early in his career, and I didn't give it to you because somebody else in the party had one, and I didn't. I felt that was overlapping. But here's the thing. Even in Storm Kings, I gave out everyone's custom items levels between levels 9 and 11. And one of my reasons behind that was is that I wanted to give you these great items when your character was hitting their stride. Yeah. So if I'm getting something like around level 14 or 15, my question is, is Hawk hitting his stride at level 15? Probably not. Well, that's why, first well, of all... Well, that's, a, that's a quite a different... Uh, that's quite a different... Um, that whole story is different, though. I mean, one of the reasons we were getting those items, too, was to juice us up for the end of the adventure, which is right about level 11. You know, level 10, 11, Squid 12, time. something like that, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that's a lot different. This is, you were doing the whole uh, the whole wrestling angle, the Hulk Hogan angle, and you feel as though you kind of completed this, so you moved along to another goal. That wasn't the same goal as what was before. And also, differently, though, too, is we didn't realize we were going to we weren't going after these. We figured out that, oh, there are items and maybe we can find them at all the giant strongholds yeah. over time. But that was never really like, this is what we're doing. I'm going to find my thing that I'm doing. You know, that's so little. On the subject of what level it is to introduce things, I think there is certainly a lot of merit there. Uh, but things can be scaled with concepts and flavor. So mm-hmm. someone's not waiting five levels for an airship you get them a clunky airship you get them an airship that's not fantastic when i used the airship in in storm kings it was not great it was an airship it had no armor (laughs) it had crap speed ass maneuverability really no weapons it was a hot air balloon yeah you couldn't (laughs) store a whole lot in it 
but it flew and you could all fly together. And over time, you found Pollywood, which the, my, uh, the mysterious sky ball provided. So you could tune this up. That was a kind of like a party goal so that you could unlock yeah. something else down the road. So for me, I think it does come down to, and like, like you said, the, the level, the level matters when there's a reason ninth, ninth level is traditionally name level, right? Like you said, Tony, you're hitting your stride. So think of it this way. There's two different kinds of items players tend to request things that are sort of like fundamental to the character concept they have and things that are like, go smite God kind of, <laughs> things. you know, so level nine and even before even you heat a little before that, if you want to, but that's a good time for something like an airship for something like a good weapon for even honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure even on how unbalanced like the Paladins like Holy Avenger is, if you want to give it out earlier. Maybe not nine, but I gave it out, I think, 13 just now. It really um, isn't unbalanced. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, it's it's not, not really. When you really look at what they what the write-up is currently on it, it's not it's it's a powerful weapon, but it's not mm-hmm. a it's not a yeah, smite god weapon. It's, the, the it's not benefit, a first edition the, hammer of thunderbolts. The plus three save benefit is gonna be pretty sweet though. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I so will you, say though, you get almost the whole party in that. The right kind of paladin though, like Sir Scar, for instance. Yeah. You guys are getting that all day. If he's awake and you're near him, you're getting that. You know. Uh, yeah, you'll get that, and you yeah. also get his current save bonus. Oh, does and it I stack? They stack. Does it stack? I, if it stacks, I mean, stacks, then yeah, then that's stack. really. So you were talking power. about if if you're within I think ten feet of Sir Scar, you might be getting literally like plus five on all your saving throws. That's the, that's the equivalent. I mean, so that's big. That's going to be bigger than the than the straight uh, attack bonus. So that kind of thing, things that are kind of fundamental to the character concept, and they want to be iconic to that character. Level nine ish around there, middle of the campaign. You know, if it's something that's like you know a culminating capstone kind of item, <laughs> the legendary okay. angel's bow. You know, you're talking like, you know, I want to say, uh, not real, like, like artifact, artifact level stuff. Now, artifacts can be fun early too, but like if they're asking for one and it's super powerful, then you're looking at 15, I think level 15 ish. Because you don't want to have what Tony ran into where you give it to them right at the end of the campaign and oh, they don't get to use it. But at the same time, you know, an art, like something like, like a really powerful artifact level weapon isn't something for ninth level. That's for epic tier. That's for 15th and up, I think. So, you know, that's and that's a different feel, though, because that's not the, oh, hey, I found the thing that defines my character. That's the, oh, hey, I have the Omni Slash now for those Final Fantasy fans. The, uh, I have just, the big thing. You know? I think a dis- real quick disclaimer, though, I think uh, uh, just so we can put it in proper context, as Thorin says, for the Woodstock group, like you can have like he can hand out a lot of these kind of uh, super duper weapons because it's kind of like when the greatest American hero finds the super suit, um, <laughs> it's a little like that. Like, does it matter that the Holy Avenger works that way if you're still not quite sure that it works that way? Like, it's so you have some room to learn how to how to run that game with it in it, you know? You, you, mean, you mean the players or the DM? <laughs> everyone, everyone. No one's, yeah, no one's had this stuff in their games yet. So we're we going to be a bit of a learning experience. We just, we like to fail upwards, so yeah. There's no fail. There's gonna be there's not gonna be no failures here. There's gonna be fine. It's gonna work out well. Until I have you all in the middle of the ring and I'm like, I can't get you to fail a save. No, but that's just yeah, I gave it to you. I just have to throw the saber sucks fouls at the at, at the people in the back. Banish them. 
<laughs> yeah, what's your charisma score, loser? <laughs> so, uh, so with that, you also have an opportunity where you're like, okay, I want to give out this artifact because it's at that level appropriate, okay? But then there's this understanding or this thought process or perhaps this incorrect belief that you have this and you can access all of its powers at full strength from day one. And my answer is no. No, you can't. Oh. There's I mean, something the like book, this. You can, but, yeah, you, but that, you can go a different way with it. Yeah. I would rather go a different way with that and introduce it and make this object part of the character story where they're learning to use it. So mm-hmm. you could throw it out there and it's alien and no one's going to explain this to you. And this is part of your journey. I've done that before with first level characters where they, uh, it's, it's like a great kind of your father's sword kind of deal. Yeah. Where you, yeah. where you basically get this thing keeps opening up new powers as you level up with it. The the catch is though that player is going to be less interested in treasure throughout the game because their big slots already filled with something that's personal to them. So you can't kind of reward them with treasure in the same way. Not that, and at least not in that slot. Well, yeah, perhaps their personal melee weapon uh, is they they have got to go to. They have a signature item. And I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong with having a signature item. I think that power no, of the Holy Sword yeah. or that ranger with that special elven bow or the, the mage who got the staff from the queen. I've done items that level up with the character on, in numerous scenarios. And quite honestly, all of them are cool. Yeah. Like that yeah. Was um, really... Well, yeah, I have done that with... Uh... Bonnie's nephew was running a game for my paladin Aaron Pendragon, and um, it was a sword that I started with, and it was just a normal long sword when I first found it. And then he started to level it with me in ways and unlock powers. I did a write up on it. If you go back in the website, you can find the article where I show Morthwill's uh, abilities, at least up to where we took it. Yeah, he was the um, one who was the reincarnation of King Arthur, right, or something. To that uh, he was like a like. It it was a yeah, in a way he was like a descendant. He was a, he was basically wielding Excalibur. Yeah, except I had I had devised this idea that like more like there were three separate swords and people were history had like confused what they were and people That's thought cool. this was Excalibur. So this was Morthwill Odu, which meant Hammer of God in Welsh, and I thought that oh, was nice. fucking cool. Um, but yeah, but that level with so the, as I went through the through levels it opened up powers, you know, in the same way like Tony's saying. So it's like that heirloom weapon. That's an, that's a great way to do that. Yeah, the, the one tip I would have on that, so as far as when you're leveling up plus-wise, I would give them the plus at the very at the beginning of each tier because the the that heirloom weapon should, you know, thinking in terms of, okay, you roll out items with, with a different plus as you hit your different tiers, that weapon should be the first thing to get the new plus because it should be, relatively powerful even if everyone else is also starting to get that stuff around that level around that level that sword should be the first thing to get plus two you know what i mean and then you don't want to want too many powers on them but you could do you know one every three or four levels depending on what all you wanted to do it, it's nice if you can do it every other level but 10 powers or one item gets to be a bit ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> here's my swiss army excalibur it's a screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, like it's there's there's a point where it becomes a little too much, but yeah. As far as fetch quest goes, any other things you run into with those uh, tips or or your, any other experiences you've had with them? Well, there's a couple. There's really no formula with it. I guess it depends what the party's into, and of course, I'm always going to come back to this: your frequency of play. Um, mm-hmm. 
if you're going to do anything long, time is your most valuable resource. So if you're working on the ship for several games, I mean, as we talked about, for crying out loud, us going to check out what was going on with this dragon turned into half a year. That could super <laughs> easily happen. And believe me, we weren't trying to do that, but this happened and this battle took was really was intense. And this, uh, but the dragon wasn't the final boss. And then there were some really terrible plants and you were there. So I don't need to recap this at this level for you. <laughs> but it helps the context for the for it, listeners. It, it though. I think I've traumatized some players again. With plants <laughs> and deadly encounters, you have the market corner on those. Um, One day, we'll, we'll, when the red caps come out with the corpse flowers, they're riding them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're like zombie, zombie red caps leap from the corpse flowers. <laughs> that was this dragon's special hobby. He was a horticulturalist. But when, especially if, if she hears my, I think really the bottom line: if you're in a game where you guys are playing weekly, go nuts! Seriously, mm-hmm. everybody gets a fetch quest. Go to town, explore everything, talk to everybody, get in the sock drawer, look around, pull the drawer out, what's in there, what's underneath, you know, the bureau. But if you're playing infrequently, you really don't have the opportunity to take, even if you're being productive, you only can make so many moves on the chessboard each session. Yeah. And my my concern with going too hard all in on that is that you're only be able to make three or four moves on the board. Where are you going to do them? You're going to be always moving towards that goal. What about these other things that pop up? They are going to kind of get sublined, or you kind of want to, but do I want to take make this make longer than it is currently? The hell no. And that's sure yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a great point. And you said that many times about the frequency of play changing how you run a lot of this stuff. Uh, and I think that's wildly valuable advice, uh, which is exactly what I'm kind of playing with here in this idea for this quest, in a way, to have story be occurring and other plot things and other character stuff happening hopefully along with it. So it's not just, oh, let's take several sessions and go do Hawk's thing, you know? But as you start to push into the world, the world begins to push back and you learn things about it. Just like the minute you entered the Feywild, you started to learn all kinds of stuff that was brand new and kind of disconcerting to you, you know? (laughs) And it opened up ideas. Um, And then the players started to say, oh, well, what about this? which then opened up more. And so I'm I'm really right now playing on this side of things, trying to have that, that the billiard ball idea where it starts to hit into it and that's what's affecting it. So I'm interesting to see. This, uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully the quest is, uh, is something that it happens, it opens up more world and you guys get along with getting along. And hopefully we conquer the city of brass by the end of it and the uh, and whatever the city is here. I don't know. We've already we've already been we, we've already kind of gotten on someone's shit list in the uh, in the elemental realm of Earth. The great con. <laughs> the great, the great con. con. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he really appreciates going in there, yeah. whipping his servants asses. Yeah, but he loves that. Yeah. <laughs> and the great delve. Yeah. Now, something you did good there that was very noticeable in the shift of how extensive our counters is. And you're so looking so puzzled. Like, what did I do good in that session? Well, let yeah. me tell you. We had an encounter that was right to the point. You rolled out some. It was an encounter. We didn't instantly blow through it. 
but it wasn't like, okay, here's this encounter where there's reinforcements and they're dividing like amoebas and they're dropping down from the ceiling and coming out of the ground. And we had an encounter. It was a couple rounds. That I got it. I got it. Yeah, you Ooh. dispatched them quickly. Yeah, again, because it's showing your guys' level of power, but then as you get deeper into the world, right, the power may be pushing back. Who knows? We'll see. We'll find out. I did say the great Khan could kiss my lily white ass. I tell so. you what, one of the big yeah, one of the big things. I'll make it they, back to him. They did uh they did uh semi hire the uh their their servant Zorn to uh to to travel to take them through the maze work. But um hire blackmailed kind yeah, of depends well, you know, right? is, you know, it's four arms off. Yeah. yeah. It's you know, it's a different economy there. But um <laughs> you know uh, one thing I will say with that session, I was getting like a little antsy because I was so trying to get a fucking encounter for the session. Like I wanted the, like at least one, you know, one fisticuffs to occur because I know yeah. the session before had been a lot of social and Hawk and, and Scar had both been chomping at the fucking dick to kill something. <laughs> well, I see, like, see, here's the thing with, with role play, and I'm actually more of a heavier role play person now at this stage of my career. But there's not all role play is super productive to the game. So if we're doing role play, that is having us bypass an encounter because the villain is just misguided and we've gotten something out of that. That's great. But then there's times we're just kind of like poking around. And while that's okay too, you put all these great places and I want everybody to look around, we could very easily get lost in that. And when you're playing like a four hour session, you know, I'm looking at the clock on an encounter, someone's talking to somebody, and I'm like biting my freaking nails. I'm like, here we are. That's the thing though. You can't explore the city if you're not willing to get into some of those encounters. There you go. You know, there and you it go. is and it is a really tough balance, especially you know, Tony definitely falls on the anti-shopping scale. of Hey, all that stuff in an email, kids. Come on. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, I, I, other, I would say I'm like, like I'm not there with them. I yeah. some of what I love is intro. Like I was so happy to introduce Gepner, the little blue old gnome guy, and yeah. his yeah. Years cool. Like I wanted to because Thorne, like you say. Those are the characters that you get to play as the DM. So you want to roll them out and and try them on a little bit, right? And have them interact, you know? There was a part of me really wanting to go to the Goblin Market because it sounds really cool. Oh, you guys will show up there. Don't worry. But but I, would, but I was, like, literally looking at it. I'm like, I know we want to get an encounter in. I know we've had, like, four talking encounters this session. I know the some of the other players are getting – are, 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 like, you know, stroking their weapons, like, with the like the, the, the tears in their eyes. <laughs> Polishing <Yeah>. their blades. <laughs> they're, like, they're, like, over there, like, soon, Hammer, soon. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm, like, okay. Like, we – like, I kind of – if it was just me, I'd head to the Goblin Market. But we got it, you know – I, th I think the uh, we got we got to move on a little bit and we'll get there next time or something. Um, but I do want to see those cool places because that really does add to the world. You know, and it's fun. Yeah. Plus, I'm hoping we'll find something cool that, you know, gives us a bigger edge. Right. Exactly. Once my quest is completed, we can go wherever you want. I promise. <laughs> Ever you want. Once I drag you through four different levels of elemental hell, nah, don't worry about it. Exactly. Hell I can, <laughs> I can, I can promise you it won't be like that. That I can promise. <laughs>
when we're done with all that and then find this other guy we have no idea where he is and and beg him to enchant my stuff when that's all wrapped up wherever you want man telling you how hard is it going to be to find a guy with a flying city as hard as Dave well, wants to be. I, no, I mean, they. You, uh, look, man, I mean, some clues were already dropped. I mean. Uh, if they were dropped, we left they, them. They weren't picking up. They'll get dropped again. Exactly. Who said the elemental plane of air? That's he did. That's true. But that's a big plane. I mean. Well, again. What, it's not the size how, of, of, like, Bucks County? What are you talking how about? The, how the ways work, though. <laughs> Anyways, we'll see. We'll see. I, I do have a scrying spell. I figure I can try. Maybe. Maybe if he's scryable. It depends. Yeah. He's exactly the kind of wizard who doesn't need to be scryable. On the other hand, he's a merchant, so you think he would want to be scryable. You know, there's no money made on people who can't find your store. Ah, that's true. All right, guys, we've been going on for a little while about this. Why don't we get to some final thoughts about uh, what should we were calling this fetch quest, McGuffin quest, and final, final thoughts on sending players out on extensive epic quests, ep- epic item focused quest. Well, my final thoughts surrounding that is, uh, of course, you need to be able to read the room uh, before you commit your story structure to something like this. If your party's all like, hey, we want to turn over every rock, then that's fantastic. Uh, Frequency of play can be a serious issue because you guys, no matter how organized you are, how productive the party is, you can only do so many moves over a course of a game without cheapening things. So that inherently could lead to an issue. Personally, I would like to give everybody their opportunity to have their cool moment, do it in an episode, build it into the fabric of your game, have that tie in with their actual storyline. Uh, if someone wants an item or a anything along those lines, I mean, it can be introduced. It just doesn't have to be the power level they expect. The item that I kind of conceptualized wasn't like slicing God's leg off at the time I find it. But it really does depend on what we're talking about. I gave the flying ship. It was a bucket of wood. Like, honestly, it was a barrel with a with with a sail. But everybody loved it. Eventually became like a Maserati of flying ships. So let the buyer beware. I mean, I said a lot of what I had said about this earlier in the episode. What I will end with, though, is a thing that Matt Colville was actually talking about. It wasn't about fetch quests or epic quests, but. He was talking about encounter building, and I think it's good advice for this as well uh, to remember, because I am constantly experimenting. Whenever I'm running a game or even a session, I'm generally there's something that I'm playing with that I haven't played with it in that way before. And what he says is he's saying with encounters, for instance, but we can we can open this up for anything, is that it is a prototype. When you put it out there. You have no idea. You have not played this thing over 50,000 people to see what happens. So the first time you throw this out, you have to see how it runs. It doesn't mean that the uh, encounter planning or building or the quest building is complete at that point. You might change things at some point. You might alter it. The players might alter it. So realize that everything you're throwing out, as experienced as you may be or as new as you may be, is a prototype at best. Because if it's not, then you're just rehashing old adventures. And then, like, you know, I mean, that's cool, but <laughs> give me something new. So. All right. So for me, uh, final thoughts on this kind of, like, extended quest. The the trick is either you keep them short, like Tony was talking about, where basically it's like a one-and-done kind of, okay, we go get this character's thing and come back. 
Or if you're going to make it longer, I do think you should probably have everyone get a thing out of it. Now, it depends on what's going to happen along the way, too, though. You know, sometimes the journey is the is the uh, sometimes the journey is the most important part. Right. If everyone's involved in different ways in the journey, it doesn't necessarily matter that you're trying to get to this one person's sword, especially if people are given motivations along the way. But I do like to if I'm going to send the party out to get a thing. I'm hoping it's a thing the whole party wants. Or it's things for the whole party. Like it's it's trying to kind of give everyone a reason to go, not just one character a reason to go. And I think that can be the tricky thing because you do tend to have characters who will want to push things of, okay, I want to go do this thing. I want to get this thing. I want this item. And sometimes those characters can wind up, those players can, can wind up dominating the game because they keep giving you an idea of what to do. And then, you know, they wind up becoming the focus character. So you got to be careful with that a little bit. I don't think it's going to happen here, but you do have to be, you have to be, you have to be mindful of that, you know, be mindful of how much your favorite, your, your, your prioritizing one player's input over another. Go ahead, it's say easy favorite. to kind of get lost in that. What's that? Go ahead. Say favorite. <laughs> favorite. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it happen before. There are definitely some games I've been in where it's like one where like, you know, there's one dude who's talking to the D&D to the DM all the time. And all of a sudden, like everything we're doing is about that, too. You know, that can happen and it, it can happen. You just, just got to be careful with that a little bit and, and be aware of that happening. And I would say, you know, make sure even if you're doing one player's quest, make sure you're giving other players personal reasons to do things and letting also very important. If they come back and say, hey, I'd like to do a thing, you're kind of bound now to do it. So keep in mind, you know, you, you it, it comes down to, you know, I like to give everyone, I like to give everyone things, you know, so once one player starts asking for, okay, I want to go make this special item, well, you've kind of opened the door to every player making special items, which is great, but you are going to have to cover that in game time. <laughs> and for some of the players, it might be like, oh, right, so we're on the third quest for an item that I don't give a shit about. That's what you got to look out for. So I think they're cool. McGuffin quests are definitely a staple of fantasy, uh, fantasy role-playing. Just be mindful of trying to keep everyone involved and not letting it just become the party going along with one player on their thing. Mm. All right, Both guys, sense. that was a lot of fun to talk about. Absolutely, good stuff. I can't wait to see what what comes out of this because it sounds like Tony's already defined, already kind of like set the item. Well, he's given thoughts. This is the thing: is that he can say this is what I would like to do, and then yeah. and then it's my world, and this is what it will do, won't do, who knows. But I'm I'm totally open to if you're going to put in the time to make something, that makes something interesting. You know, it's not just going to be something like it hits better. <laughs> you know, like, you know. <laughs> it's like that meme, you know, you killed him. How do you want to do this? I don't I know. I stabbed him real I good. Guess I stabbed him really good. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we stabbed this really good. Um, All right, guys. So thank you for joining me on this episode and thank you everyone listening from home for joining us on another episode of three wise DMS. Now, most of our episodes are answering reader questions or listener questions. It wasn't the case this time, but if you have a question you'd like us to answer, you can enter that in the what's your problem field on our website, three wise or you can send us an email at three wise at gmail.com or talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, very active in all those platforms. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating in your podcast platform of choice. Tell your friends, let them know, share it. Anything you do to help us promote it is a real help to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time. Three Wise DMs. Bye.